let me get this straight. Yeah? I'm somewhere that's not what I would call Earth. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing freaking dragons. Yeah, yeah. No, it's fucking, fucking dragons. Oh, yeah. Fucking dragons. Saji Javid called for patients to pay for GP and A&E visits. What a cunt. What were we talking about? Fucking dragons is what we were talking about. Oh, they've got an entire website for that. <laughs> it is freaking dragons, by the way. Um, they added fucking post-trailer. So now it's, oh, I'm seeing freaking dragons, and oh yeah, I'm talking to a fucking cuff. Sorry, yeah, you're right. It's fucking cuff, not fucking dragons. I knew it was one of the clips from that trailer. They changed freaking to fucking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you see, I'm intimately familiar with the line because um, over the course of playing Forspoken, she's already said it twice. Well, I know. I mean, I'm very familiar with the line because I have watched many, 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 many of Jonathan Holmes's redubs of that <laughs> yes. trailer over the past month. Yes, our good friend, compatriot, compadre, uh, and patron saint of certainly my life, uh, Jonathan Holmes, has been parodying the uh, notorious, um, many have called it cringy, uh, Forspoken trailer. Um, He's done dozens and dozens of different versions. Well, he was releasing one daily, like, up to release date. Yeah, yeah. And they were good. They were very good. The The, the boy doesn't get enough, um... He just doesn't get seen and heard enough. No, he's not famous, and it's tragic. He needs an entire, like, podcast behind him or something. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and maybe one day that'll happen. <laughs> <laughs> maybe one day there will be a podcast with Jonathan on it. <laughs> Um, oh wait, there is one. It's the one he doesn't do with us! <laughs> That's right. Rick. Talking to Women About Video Games is a very good uh, podcast, by the way. Talking to Women About Video Games is very good. It's uh, hosted by Jonathan Holmes, uh, who is non-trotsky on Twitter, at non-trotsky. Do give him a follow. He's a good lad. He's a good lad. How is everyone? I'm going to be recording a thing for that this week. Good, good, good. Yeah. Yes. I need to go on it again. I had fun last. We didn't talk about video games because I just ex I just kept saying the shit that I say to him on Boston's Favourite Son. And I was actually looking forward to talking about games with him. I mean, the best reason to go on is when you get a little jingle made about you. Like he I've, does, I've got yeah. little, little, little sing-songs about me, which is always very nice. He does a little song for you. It's uh, really good. Right. Right. Uh, does anyone have any life news, anything going? What's happening? Well, I mean, I mean, if, we, if you're soliciting life news, I've, I've, I've written a book with my wife that's like three weeks away from release. It comes out on February 16th, uh, 2023, which is real soon. Uh, it's called Who Hunts the Whale? It is... A definitely, definitely satirical parody book that's about a fictional company and definitely not a pastiche of all of the terrible companies we talk about on this show. It is about someone finally getting their dream job in the games industry and then realising, oh no, capitalism is ruining everything, what can I do from the inside to lessen the terrible impact that capitalism has on the art that I love? But like, with jokes and stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's Who Hunts the Whale, it's coming out on February 16th. Go check it out. If you listen, if you listen to this show, you are probably the target audience for this book. Go, go, go! Check it out. February sixteenth. There you go. I shilled. Good shilling. I did my work for the day. Yeah. I've been shilling all day today. I've been doing doing so many shill opportunities. I mean, you've got to. <laughs> got to shill. You got to. Got to. Got to. Got to shill. Got to. Got to. Got to make sure people read the stuff that that. Me and my wife spent a year writing together. Absolutely. Right. It's hard enough to get people to pay attention to books. Um, you've got to really push, push them, push them out there. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. 
Well, I, I actually, I have a thing. Uh, I've been, I, I think I've mentioned this before. I've been uh, involved in producing a, a show called Red Planet, which is about, you know, trying to make the world a better place, basically, you know, through leftist political idea ideas. It's a good name, by the way. It is a good name. I have nothing to do with that. I wish I could claim credit <laughs> for that. But it, it's it's also just like a really hopeful, good, interesting show that gets fascinating people. And this coming Sunday, I, I don't know if you all heard the news about like oh. the TSA's no fly list getting released. Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm aware that it got leaked on a website that was pink and pastel and was like, ooh woo, I've 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 leaked the no fly list. Yeah, it, it's fucking great. Yeah, so we'll be talking to them on Sunday. Nice one. It's it's going to be uh, really, really interesting talking about hacktivism uh, with Maya Crime W or Maya Arson Crime W. Yeah. And that that's on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash uh, Red Planet Live. That's what it is. Yeah. Twitch.tv slash Red Planet Live. Uh, if you go to redplanetshow.com, there are links to where everything is. It gets released on YouTube later and as a podcast. Fun fact that's come out of that, that no fly list being leaked. Um surprising absolutely no one if you have the the name muhammad anywhere in your name you are disproportionately likely to be put on the no fly list who could have guessed how strange that seems far fetched that would imply some sort of bias profiling element to this some sort of yeah biased that would require some kind of like control f find muhammad <laughs> yeah copy paste no fly list I which, don't think that like happens. that would be a terrible Terrible thing for someone to do. I mean, it just yeah. sounds lazy. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. Unbelievable. So anyway, that's uh, that's going on in my life. Um, what about you, Steph? Not a lot. Plugging away. Shoulders still there. Not doing brilliant, mm. I'll be honest. I reckon I can still... I mean, I'm, I'm going to work through all my wrestling dates. Gearing up for a match this Saturday. Got one in Sheffield again for True Grit. Uh, promotion I've been doing a lot of work with uh, lately. Um, yeah. Me and Priscilla again, Queens of the Space Age tagging. Uh, so that's going to be good. Uh, for those of you who get to Sheffield, it's at uh, 3. Doors open 3 p.m. It's um, They've got an evening and an afternoon show. We're on the afternoon one. Um, bell time, 3.30 p.m. in Sheffield. Uh, True Grip. I've got all my other dates that I'll sort of mention at the end. Uh, but I am booked until June now. Damn. I got bookings till June. Well spaced out, so I've got dates to uh, that I can fill. Um, but it's it's nice to have steady work. It's nice to uh, be steadily booked. The uh, show we did in Leeds went fabulously, and True Grit was really pleased. Like, it was the loudest uh, match of the night, so... They are responsible for most of those bookings because <laughs> um, they really like me uh, for some reason. Uh, yeah, that's about it. I say we, I guess, uh, oh, what is it we talk about on this show? Video games. Video games. Yeah. I'd like to kick off actually today. Normally I sort of don't, I don't take the reins. But I do want to just get us started on Forspoken, mm -hmm. the game I intimated at at the beginning of the show with that, frankly, uh, by the end of the week will be award-winning um, satirical rhetoric. Uh, <laughs> Forspoken, a game that has been out at the time of recording for a day, and I'm already sick of a fucking discourse about it. 
<laughs> I am so sick of that. Yeah. Like, I thought I was joking. Like, I mean, it was bad writing and I got pissed off. But when I showed a clip of, well, not pissed off, but I was frustrated by the writing. I showed a clip from uh, right near the beginning of the game where the apartment is on fire. So it's been established that the main character, like, desperately needs money. She's trapped in New York, can't get out, but has been saving up all this cash. Huge bag of not huge, actually, no, not huge. Very easily carryable bag of cash uh, that she has saved up. And it's presented as like, this is her ticket out. This is everything she saved up her entire life for. The apartment is on fire. She wakes up. The bag is at her feet. You can interact with it. And all she does, all she does is look at the bag and say, gotta find Homer first, which requires her to move away from the bag, leave the on-fire bedroom, find the cat, then walk back to the bedroom instead of picking up the bag, walking out, picking up the cat, and fucking off. <laughs> That's what she could have done. It was at her feet. Conrad wasn't annoyed when I was on stream and the bag of money thing happened. Conrad was not suitably annoyed by this. I'm sorry, you know, cat invalidates all. If there's a cat in a room and there's a bag of money and I'm looking at a bag of money, I'm turning my head to look at the cat. Look, the cat comes first, but there's no reason you can't have both and fuck this. Mm. <laughs> if the game had made it a cutscene where she wakes up, instantly sees it on fire, instantly thinks, oh fuck cat, and bolts, and you start off in the main room looking for the cat, that would be something. Instead, you wake up and the bag is at your feet and you can stand there for 10 minutes. <laughs> there is unique dialogue for interacting with it without moving. Like, you, it is in position that you just press triangle without having to move the camera or move yourself and you interact with it. And it's like, nope, can't pick it up. Gotta walk right past the thing that's gonna get me and my cat out of town finally and safe. She ends up homeless on the street with the cat matted and filthy and dirty and cold, which wouldn't the cat wouldn't have suffered if she'd picked up the bag that was at, at her feet. Someone on Twitter pointed out, the ones who weren't taking this too seriously and getting really mad at me because the discourse has already gotten so vicious. It's the worst. <laughs> but one, one person said, it's actually more effort to have a panicking cat in your arms and then go back and get the money. Yep. If you've already got the bag secured then you can deal with the cat rather than deal with the, the frightened cat, go back through a burning door frame and wrestle this bag. It's more effort to do it the way she did it. And like I said, if it were just a cutscene, they could even make that the plot point. You can have the camera linger on the bag and be like, oh no, she was so worried about the cat, she forgot it. But the way the game presents it, she didn't forget. She elected to leave the bag at her feet, go out of the room, get the cat with the plan to go back into the burning room. And everyone's talking about the cringy dialogue and posting that one clip of her being all like, hey, Cuff, you sound like a serial killer, as if that's that cringy, which it isn't. It's fine. I think that di that dialogue exchange is kind of fun. Like, I, I enjoy that dialogue exchange. Like... I, all of the, the scenes people have been posting online, I think that is like the most baffling one for people to be like, oh, the worst writing ever. I'm like, no, I think that's a fun little exchange. More than any of the of the writing in this game, it's that moment with the bag in the burning room is the it's thing mayhem. that annoys people than anything. Everyone's mad about the wrong thing. It's nonsense. And I've got people <laughs> defending it, like actively defending it. Like, oh, well, she just cares more about the cat, which I'm like, yeah, you could have told that better. 
than giving me an interaction that explicitly makes her look stupid. Like not worried about the cat, a dumbass. Like that's the that's the difference here between showing her empathy for the cat trumps the money is you want her to not even be thinking about the money, not looking at the money and then going, gotta find timer first. Gotta find timer first. Gotta find timer first. So this aside, I want to talk a bit more like big picture about Forspoken because I've put I've put some time into it, and there are like there's a few things that like I want to get out the way as like things that people should be aware of about this game. To set expectations, I have been told to play through just the core story stuff is about ten to twelve hours. Of that, I can say from my own experience, the first two to three hours are not open world adventure as the game has sort of been pitched. It is it has like two to three hours of very linear, very cutscene heavy stuff before you really are allowed to stretch your legs and play. So bear that in mind. It is a good chunk of the game's like just going for the main story plot line is taken up with a few hours of essentially a movie. I came into your stream when you were around 25 minutes in and could not believe. Oh yeah, that we weren't. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. The, like I, I would have been out so fast. I two hours to get to the gameplay that was promised is outrageous. Well, this is one of the issues with the game: is everyone talks about the obnoxiousness of the dialogue or lack thereof. It's the frequency that's the problem. This game, and Justin did tell me before. Uh, recording actually uh, that you can go into the options to turn the in-game sort of incidental dialogue down not knowing that to begin with oh my god it's like chattier than high on life which oh by the way we were going to have Justin Roiland again as a guest star but for some reason he's unavailable this week <laughs> but it's like it's at that level of like this game won't shut the fuck up I've, I've seen people make the high on life comparison but I do want to say uh, one thing that high on life at the very least did better than this is in high on life when a thi when the thing you're holding in your hand is talking to you incessantly you can at least be walking around doing something during that this game will frequently have you having a conversation with the cuff and you just have to stand there rooted to the spot having a conversation not even able to like slowly walk around while you do it not in like a cutscene camera angle it's just you stood in one spot like Okay, I've got to stand here to have this long conversation. It's very ponderous. It's a factor of cutscenes and tutorial stuff and the constant forcing you into the lore menu. Every time you get a bit of new information, you're forced into the lore menu and you've got to back out of it. The game constantly, especially in those first two hours, is constantly... It, this is a big trope in like Japanese RPGs where the game constantly pauses to give you a big wad of tutorial text. I have been given the near-death tutorial pop-up three times now. I'm one hit away from death, and I get the pop-up that says, here's how being one hit away from death works. And I'm like, I know, just stop it. A lot of that opening stuff is so frustrating. Um, there are those certain games where you just want to yell, like, just stop. Just stop. Let me actually play it. I was desperate to play it. And what I will say is that, like, what's kind of frustrating is that it doesn't need nearly this much lead up to explain how to play it, because the demo that they released uh, on PS5 last week has, like, within within a few minutes gets you up and playing 
and using not only like all of the mechanics that you have at the start of this game, but more mechanics than you have at the start of this game, and it does so very quickly. It's frustrating having played a version of this that very quickly goes, okay, here's how to do it, start having fun, and then play the actual game and have so many things standing between you and what I think this game is best at, which is when it finally lets go of the reins and goes, here's a big open world, just start magic parkour sprinting over stuff, because that feels fun. But you are, like, several- there is multiple hours between this game starting and you getting to go, oh yeah, this game has very fun movement in an open world. Yeah. That's engaging. And this is obviously a problem many games have. Uh, I talked about how ponderous Cyberpunk was, I know Conrad's played that, and um, we'll- from what I've gathered, we'll have some thoughts. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, like, I'm- I'm not mega, mega, mega far into the game yet. It's been letting me off the reins more. But there is so much just talking, which is fine if the game has things to say, but it's it's basically the plot of a kid in King Arthur's court. I just want this game to get to the meat of itself. Yeah. Because it's not even like it's got to set up all that much, uh, not just in terms of plot, but like at least until you get like more varied magic. The first couple of hours is basically a third-person shooter. It's It's a shooter, and not a great one, if I'm honest. I would argue this game could really have done with starting your starting moveset as a character where the demo last week started you from, which is not much more in the way of skills you have available to you as a player, but it gave you two movesets to swap between with the D-pad. You could either be doing third-person shooter with throwing rocks or, or machine gunning rocks, or you could be doing a more dash-oriented, flame, melee, sword-fighting character. And I'm like, cool. Ha giving you two options so that you can do range and melee feels like the right place to start this character, and it feels lacking without that additional option to swap to. Because when you start this game with only the ability to do ranged magic, it highlights what I think this game's uh, combat's biggest problem is which is that it is a game that feels like it should play like a uh, character action game, like a maybe like a Devil May Cry or something, in terms of the speed that you are moving, the way you are dodging in combat, and the sort of variety of skills you have available. But the problem is, start of this game, you've got one magic uh, skill set, you've got three attacks you can be doing that are all mapped to R2, and to swap between them... You have to slow down time or stop time, pull up a radial menu, switch to a different attack, and then get back to mashing the same R2 to do the new attack. This feels like the kind of game that would feel a lot better in combat if you could be swapping on the fly between a couple of attacks in order to be doing combos, in order to be feeling like you are making meaningful choices about what attack to do in the moment without breaking up the flow of combat, and while poorly explained, once you have unlocked a second magic set and have, for example, rock-throwing uh, third-person shooter or melee flame sword, you can swap between those mid-combo with a tap of the D-pad. And at that point, it mitigates that problem a little bit in that you can at the very least have, this is the attack I've chosen for my third-person shooter, this is the melee attack I've chosen, I can at least swap back and forth between those without having to stop fighting. But, like, 
with only one move set, the early combat is very much just click in the right stick to lock on and press or hold R2 and evade. Like, like my biggest issue with all of this is I see what they're going for. Mm-hmm. I'm excited by what they're going for. Yeah. But the execution is a mess. It feels to me like a really messy combat system. That's a, a function of a couple of things. Mm. Uh, the first one being the lock-on is so spotty and unreliable. Oh, it's weird. It's so strange. Sometimes I think I'm locked on and then I lose lock on. Sometimes I try to lock on and it won't lock on at all. Sometimes I'm locked on and I do the thing it tells me where I can use the analog stick to switch which target I'm locked on to and it just breaks lock on entirely. It's not reliable. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much yeah what I was going to say about that. Uh, so the lock on system is as you described. The other issue is the camera in general. It really does not do a great job of showing you everything that's going on. Mm. Uh, I've been attacked from off screen many times uh, as a result of A, the poor tracking and B, the um, just the camera's ability to keep enemies in focus. There's an auto targeting system without locking on. It's sort of an aim assist that is really good until it's not. Yeah, It's really good up to a point, but when the enemies are, especially like anything that's fast, uh, when it's when they're circling around you, it's so hard to keep track of of that. On top of that, we've got just the visual noise that is the game. Um, just a lot of effects. A lot of the terrain gets like the grass is like tall and numerous and can make it hard to see what the hell's going on. Uh, you've got HUD elements all over the place. It's a lot, uh, and I really sort of struggle with that. On top of that, like. My finger gets really tired shooting the rocks. There's the the one where you hold, but it just, in my experience so far, hasn't felt as effective. Yeah. Then we've got the conflict between that straightforward action game, Mm -hmm. which I think when you mention character action, I'm thinking with the ranged elements and the parkour, something a bit vanquishy would be sort of what they'd be going for in that regard. But then you've got, that's all... So far, we're we're talking all about the uh, attack spells, the offensive magic. Mm. You've got the support magic as well, which is a variety of helpful things like your first magic set. You've got a flower that attacks for you, or you can throw seeds into an enemy that does damage over time, or bind enemies to the ground. And you're encouraged to flick between all of them as and when their cooldowns are ready. Yes. Now, that brings to mind, like when Phoenix was watching me play, their first thought was Dragon Age or, or a Bioware game like that, like the constantly switching between cooldown skills. The problem is, is that works in a more Bioware-esque RPG where the characters are, say, automatically attacking uh, and your job is to manage skills and manage tactics. In a frantic action game, essentially the, the mechanical impact of those Uh, constantly switching between these uh, spells is you're just constantly pausing the action. So I will say for support skills, there is a a setting in the options menu I would highly recommend turning on. You can set it so that if the support skill you currently have equipped is on a cooldown and and cannot be used right now, it will auto-swap to one of the other support skills that isn't on cooldown. 
That, I think, would mitigate a lot of it. It takes a little bit of the strategy of choosing which support skill out a little bit, in that, like, realistically what you're going to end up doing is using it because it's there, uh, and just keep doing that until they're all on cooldown, but... At the very least, I'm not having to interrupt gameplay to do it, and I'm using them a lot more as a result. Yeah, it's not ideal, and I'm still... I, I will inevitably have to keep pausing the game to get ones I particularly want, but considering so much of that combat already feels like a frantic mess, half the time I am just throwing out whatever's cooled down anyway. Right. So that will improve things. But yeah, overall, just mechanically i i won't say it it doesn't feel sloppy it's not like these things are poorly made they're just something about the execution is just off kilter it's just not quite uh the disparate elements are just not coming together quite right and the result is a game that's very hard to keep track of certainly for me i'm struggling to keep track of it which is a shame because each individual element is good. The spells, when they connect and everything, good, solid. There's some solid action. It's just, it's got several conflicting elements and they really need to fix that lock-on because yeah. the lock-on breaking and the enemy tracking being as unreliable, the tracking and the assist being as unreliable as it is, um, many times I've taken damage and honestly been confused as to why and how what happened happened. I'll say having played from the sounds of it a bit further in than you have, I think that this game gets better as it goes, but it is it is undeniably inconsistent. I think that a lot of the a lot of the discourse around this game online is is overblown uh in in yes. in my opinion but i think that it it is undeniable that this is a game that tries a lot of things and it's really hit and miss as to which things it does work or don't or even just consistently i think i think there are points where this game's writing and dialogue genuinely works very well i think that eventually it finds its footing as Making deliberate uh, use of this sort of fish out of water, clashing of perspectives, interestingly in dialogue, but then, you know, there will be a line every now and then where I go, that does sound like it's out of a trailer for a 2000s Disney Channel original movie. Uh, there will be moments where I'm having, like, absolute fun, and then there'll be moments where I come across absolutely broken elements of game. I really enjoy one-on-one -on -one fights generally in this. I have found those a lot more enjoyable than, like, group encounters. But there are exceptions. Uh, there are exceptions that keep popping up. Things like there is an early boss fight while you're still in those first couple of hours that completely and utterly broke for me and was incredibly frustrating, not because of anything I'd done wrong, but because one of the accessibility settings was broken for a single boss fight. I don't know the specifics of what was going on, but in short, there is an accessibility setting to drastically reduce the amount of damage you as the player take, which was causing me to deal drastically reduced damage to, an, to a boss. Brilliant. Making the boss an incredibly bullet-spongy enemy that I, I was like 20-25 minutes into fighting just one of the phases of this fight. 
unable to understand what I'd done wrong until I realised, oh, it's because I, I, I turned on the damage reduction setting to show it off on on stream because people were curious about 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 it, and it seemingly broke that boss fight. There are moments where I have a lot of fun with this game, but it feels often like it gets in the way of itself, and it gets in the way of me having fun with it, which is a shame because there's a lot of there's a lot of elements of it that I really enjoy, and I just wish it was a more consistent experience. Yeah, I'm I, I'm not disliking it. Yeah, I am enjoying it. Yeah, now I've gotten past the opening couple of hours, I am enjoying it too. Yeah, I'm I'm enjoying it while being frequently frustrated with it. Uh, it is a game that's doing its darndest and I respect what it's doing and when it works, it works. And when it doesn't, it pisses me the hell off. Yeah. I don't want to linger too much on the discourse about the dialogue and whatnot, um, but I will say that for all of the focus on the protagonist... It's the cuff that's fucking annoying. Oh, g- God, yeah. <laughs> Snarky, smirky little fuckwit. Yeah, it's yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to linger too much on on the dialogue, other than to say, I think the more I've gotten into this game, the more I feel like there is a deliberate attempt to have contrast between dialogue styles in order to emphasize the fish out of water nature of what's going on. And that clashing can be jarring, and I think I, c- I can look at it and go, I see what you're trying to do and how you're trying to achieve it, but w- whether it's always achieving that is a little all over the place. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I am having fun, despite the fact that a lot of my thoughts about it are the ways that I... Th- uh, the caveats to be made about what... There is a good game in there. Yeah, I'll be uh, right back to playing it. Yeah. After we're done here. Same. Uh, mostly because, you know, it's my job and I yeah. have to do a review on it. But outside of that, I would still be playing it. Like, it's... It's... Oh, God. It's... I just wish it... The overall experience was more consistent and smooth than it is. Because I do want to like it a hell of a lot more. But it's just a bit too... It's it's just a bit too messy, not in on a technical level, just on a on a design level. It's a bit of a mess. Yeah. The only other thing I want to add before we move on is that uh, there have been criticisms from black game critics um, of the f- a couple of things. Very few black creators were given access to this game, and I recognise that very few critics, full stop, were given access to this game. Uh, in advance of release, but very specifically a lot of black critics who usually get access to game review codes did not get access to Forspoken, which is kind of notable in the light of things like uh, back in December 2021, Isaiah Colbert over at Kotaku did a uh, some coverage of a preview event for the game in which the game's largely white lead writer team put their foot in it a couple of times on discussions of their black main character, and... There is some good reporting out there that is worth reading on some of the areas where black critics have been frustrated with elements of this game that feel like they are written right. from an outside perspective. It, it, it's one of those things that's not my my place to go into more depth on, but I would recommend people go read up. Go go read Isaiah Colbert's uh, preview from Kotaku back in 2021. Go read other critics who are now reviewing it now it's out. 
yeah, I um have not yet confirmed if the uh the writing is predominantly by uh white men in their thirties, but it wouldn't shock me. My understanding is that at least as of December 2021, when that Kotaku preview went up, it discussed the fact that all of the named writers that anyone was being told had written for it were all white people in their 30s and 40s. Yeah. And there ha- after that, there was discussion of, oh, oh we're, we're going to ask consultants. But there was also the consultancy red flag of... um. Well, we had a black woman playing one of the characters, and we asked her to let us know if if anything in there was bad, which is like... It's not her job. Don't ask people whose job isn't to be a consultant to just do some quick consultancy while they're there. Yeah. Like, that's always a red flag with consultancy stuff. So yeah, go 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 read um go read work from black creators about this game because there is the conversations to be had there. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Conrad, what have you played this week? So, Steph, oh, yeah. we've known each other. We, we've known each other a long time. Like we've 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 been friends for more than a decade by this point. Yeah, like coming up on I think f- fifteen years now. Jesus Christ, must be around about. I have a question because I've been playing Cyberpunk. Uh, twenty seventy seven. Twenty seventy seven. That one. That's the one. Okay. And it has confronted me with something that uh, I maybe didn't know about myself Mm -hmm. in a way that has kind of shocked me to my core. And so I just, I need an outside perspective. Okay. Would you say that I am a prudish man? (laughs) You've You've been on podcasts with me for over a decade. <laughs> I don't think it's possible, sir. I'd say out of the people I know, <laughs> you, let's say, play your cards closer to your chest in the sexy stakes than most. Sure. Yeah, but that's, I wouldn't say prudish, sir, no. No. I, I, I feel I'm pretty accepting of the idea of sex and sexual representation and things. Sure. And the idea of... And, but my God, <laughs> is Cyberpunk 2077 just over the top with it? I see what you mean. In, in, in such a vulgar, constant fashion. Yeah, yeah. And this is not, I, I want to make it clear that this is not a criticism of CD Projekt Red. At all. Because I think I think they've actually done a pretty goddamn excellent job of creating the setting, of establishing the setting in this. What it's just made me realize is that as much as I really enjoy cyberpunk uh, as a genre... Uh, and even as a, you know, admittedly dated sort of progenitor of said genre, there is a difference in engagement with it mm. between video games, this video game in particular, and other mediums that I have enjoyed 
cyberpunk in. Yeah. I don't want to spend time in this world, regardless of how <laughs> well they have built it to feel like the thing. Yeah. I, well, they did a great job of making it an unpleasant place. Yeah. Too good a job. Yeah. Uh, and I think what you're describing is a function of what I talked about last week, in that it's so extreme in its adoption of cyberpunk uh, tropes mm-hmm. that it com- comes off as a parody. And I think that goes into the sexualization aspect as well. Oh, certainly. Because other cyberpunk stories in other media will have, like, ooh... Here is a sex worker with a robot bit. Uh, here is like some sexy advertising. Uh, and because Cyberpunk 2077 is the concept of Cyberpunk taken to an absolute extreme, then yeah, uh, the the sex stuff is, as you say, it's so over the top. Yeah, I mean, and, and I'm just using this as the example you know, yeah. because it's the thing that just sort of hit me over the head with how just ever present it really is to a, I don't want to even say unnecessary degree because it, it that makes it sound like I have some issue with the creative choice, which I don't really, I just don't enjoy it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, I, 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 I think as a creative choice, it's a perfectly valid one. I think in a lot of ways, it's it's very reflective of a parody of, of our world, which I think is something that, that science fiction is ex- exceptionally suited to doing. I don't think it's wrong. I just don't want to be in it at all. And, and it's kind of stopped me from playing it again, because... I think I think about how just unpleasant the experience is, and I I've kind of really only scratched the surface. I've made it through the prologue, which um, I thought actually I really liked that introduction to it. It felt familiar. If you, you know, almost every cyberpunk story starts that way, and I'm sure that there were people in the audience who maybe hadn't had that experience yet. Um, and that's cool. But also it was just so well executed. Like I have no issues with how that game starts. I don't know. I don't know where it's headed. Um, it's all very sort of vague. You know, I'm still working out how to resolve or, you know, I'm still dealing with Johnny at the very early stages and I just don't know where that's headed. And I I may never find out because even though I am kind of curious about it, I I think this is actually a game that I would rather watch a uh, narrative only let's play to see where that goes. Yeah. And, and, and be satisfied with that because the doing feels so Gross. Yeah. On so many levels. What you said earlier has actually like reframed uh, the game. Not not reframed, but but added an extra context uh, and got me to realize something. Mm. Because I've been playing it a lot. Um, you know, I was waiting for games for work to happen. Right. And Cyberpunk was basically the game I have been playing kind of very very rigidly for a couple weeks. I got very much into the gameplay loop of it. And, you know, games like that are very well designed to sucker you in and keep you hooked. Mm -hmm. And I was very much hooked. But you're right. 
as hooked as I am by the gameplay loop, I don't want to be in that world. I don't like Night City. And, and you know, many would argue that... That's the point. And not wrong. Yeah, but like The Witcher 3, to bring that up again, that's a crapsack world full of assholes and uh, bullshit, and it's not a pleasant place to be. But I do kind of like interacting with that world. I like learning about the like various monsters and history of that world and being Geralt in it and having those interactions in the world that are kind of unique to his character uh, do compel me to stay in it, not just enjoy the gameplay, but enjoy the atmosphere, the world and the world building. I don't give a fuck about what happens in Night City. There is so much... There's so much documentation in that game to read up about the history. Mm -hmm. Admittedly, so much of it just being regurgitated cyberpunk tropes. In fact, a lot of the game in terms of world building is, yeah, if you've watched a couple of cyberpunky films, it's that. It's the same shit. But yeah, in terms of there are no characters I like, there is nothing about the world that I... Like, you can buy apartments and stuff like that right and i don't feel like i'm making a home for the character like i have done in other games where you can get different homes because the world is by design quite quite explicitly by design uh superficial and nasty and soulless but that being brings up the question of um what happens when you've got uh when, when you've successfully built a world no one wants to uh, live in and then tell people to have fun in. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just one of those interesting questions. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I have other thoughts about what that says about us mm -hmm. and perhaps even some people who could be conscious of that and would still find enjoyment in those things. Yeah. But I'm going to have to sit with that for a while, I think, because that opens a whole can of worms that I don't want to live in that world either, actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> but yeah, and, and like I say, I, they did a great job. They, the gameplay loop also, I mean, it doesn't compel me maybe as much as it does you. Yeah. Um, I do think the quick hacking stuff is interesting. I have had fun stealthing through environments using distraction and eliminating bodies. It's entertaining. I don't know how uh, well I like... I, I like the passive interactions with quick hacking, you know, the environmental objects. Yeah. Uh, but the quick hacking of enemies in combat doesn't... Eh. I've reached a point with it now where, like, I, I've i got uh, a, a deck that lets me put eight hacks on at once, and they're all legendary level now. So combat is trivial. Right. And it's great. <laughs> you know, there are some games where trivializing the combat is uh, would harm the experience. I don't give a fuck about it here. So, like, I'm having a fucking laugh. Like, it's it's... You can just shut someone down by looking at them now. And it can. I've got a thing that will automatically pass that hack on to someone who's nearby. So I look at someone, they keel over, and the person next to them keels over. 
or I get them to like pull a grenade out of their pocket, hold it up and explode themselves. The contagion, the poison one, I was, I thought it was shit when I had the low level version. Now you poison one person and it spreads and spreads and spreads. So everyone in a combat encounter is taking damage over time. It is so overpowered. And I've heard that's true of other builds as well. Mm-hmm. You reach a point where if you focused on on certain aspects to the point where you've like really sort of reached legendary tier stuff, the world's your bitch. And that is the point at which I started to really definitively enjoy myself. Mm-hmm. The fact I've got eight options to like, you know, you, I'm going to get you to turn on your mates and shoot the fuck out of them. You are going to pull a grenade out. You can just fall over. Fuck you. You, weapons jammed. You, your eyes don't work anymore. Like, it's... That's very enjoyable. Yeah, I could definitely see that. You gotta work for it, though. You gotta put in a lot of time. Yeah, and and I I, I probably won't, but I, I, I think it's an interesting game. Oh, yeah. And I, I certainly... Uh, think it's something that deserves to be examined and thought about. I don't know that I, I don't know that I can play it anymore, but I I can completely see having fun with that that gameplay at some point. Yeah, it it's it's interesting. I'm I'm glad I played it to some degree at least. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, like it's. It's not a great game. It It's not got much interesting stuff to say, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of interesting stuff you can say about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that's valuable. Yeah. Uh, I think playing it, especially for like folks like us, um, there is worth in it. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's, yeah, that's mostly what I played this week. Uh, Laura, what have, what have you played? The main other thing I've played is I've, I've I've done the regular segment of Laura's Playdate Corner because she's got a Playdate and therefore gets to play Playdate games. Oh, that must be nice. Yeah, it must be nice. It mm. is nice. I'm very much enjoying having a couple of games a week to play on it. This week marks the halfway point in the season of weekly games that, that are currently planned for it, so I, I'm, I'm at about the halfway point now. This week's games were called Zipper, and Hyper Meteor. Uh, Hyper Meteor I'm going to get out of the way because it's really quick and simple to explain. You know the game Asteroids? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Sure. What if Asteroids, but you're using the crank to pick where your ship is aiming, like mm-hmm. to sort of rotate around in a circle. Right. And instead of shooting bullets to destroy the asteroids, you are dashing into them. You have one button to dash forward in the direction you're facing to hit the asteroid. Certain segments of Asteroid are a different colour, and therefore, if you crash into those, you'll damage yourself. As long as you hit the good bits, you'll destroy the Asteroid. It's real simple. It is a couple of lives, high score chasing, play Asteroids, but you are dashing rather than shooting bullets. It is just enough of a change from what is familiar about Asteroids to feel like its own thing that justifies existing, The crank works really well for accurate precision aiming, but it's still very familiar and a thing that I already know that I like. It is, there's not much to say about it other than it's a fun spin on a thing I already know. Mm -hmm. The one that's a little more complicated to talk about is a game called Zipper. 
Zipper is a grid-based, isometric game about being a samurai, trying to do that one cool moment in the samurai film where, like, the person's got their hand on their sword and they dash really far forward, uh, and, you know, the person they dashed right past got sliced with the sword and they're dead. It's basically that as a turn-based tactics game, but there's a little bit of super hot thrown in there. The way this works is you can only move in straight lines, and however many squares you move in a straight line, all enemies will then get to move that many squares as well. So you are trying to position yourself correctly so that you can do a single straight line that goes like right past an enemy uh, with them one pixel away from the line that you're on, so that you can sort of kill them before they've they've realised what's going on, you get your kill. You can dash pretty far across a level in a straight line, but obviously that's risky to do because the bigger the dash you do, the more movement any remaining enemies in the level will get to do in response. So you are trying to get the balancing act of getting close enough that doing the dash to get a kill isn't going to open you up massively to risk, but also going, look, right now I've got the shot and I'm in a straight line and I, I, I can get them. Do I risk it? I like the concept. My biggest problem is that so far through playing, I have not found a single checkpoint. I have not found, and and maybe maybe they exist, and I've just been getting like real close and not getting to whatever screen the checkpoint is on. But right now, every time I die, and it is one hit kill, if you do not do this correctly, and an enemy has enough movement to get to you and kill you, right back to the very start, and that's really put me off because I like. I like the puzzle of this, and I think it is like it is quick, it is simple, it is well executed, it is it feels cool to do. I don't want to mess up one stage on one level and get killed by one enemy, and now I have to redo all of the levels, including the ones that are very basic tutorial ones that were ramping me up to that difficulty point to get back there. Feel free to correct me, listeners, if you've played zipper on playdate if there is checkpoints and i just haven't gotten to them my complaint is either that i wish the checkpoints were more common or i wish they existed because it is putting me off a game that otherwise i am really enjoying this is a very rare miss for me and if it turns out there is a checkpoint and i i'm i'm like i keep being like just a smidge off of it maybe my opinion on it will change a little but right now i like the concept I'm not good enough to not have to replay sections of it, and I don't have the patience to replay sections of it. But Hypermeteor, un- un- uh, unqualified, I am having a great time with. Zipper, I really hope there is something I'm missing. Hmm. Which, there's been very, there's been very few games on Playdate's first season that I haven't gelled with, but yeah, this one has been, it's been iffy. Well, that's a shame. Yeah. Uh, what, about, what about you both? Have either of you played anything else? Uh, I have been dicking around on the 3DS. Yeah? Yeah, just sort of picked up a couple games. Uh, I I need a new 3DS. I found my old Majora's Mask one. Yeah? That's the one that's 500 fucking bucks on eBay. And unfortunately, it's top screen has not fully survived. Uh, the multiple moves that I've made over the years. Unfortunately, it did not survive 
traveling halfway around the world. No. Um, oh, no. Kind of fucking gutted. That... Is the case okay? Is it just not working? It's just the top screen is a bit fucked. Okay, that's repairable. I was going to say, I've got a scrap 3DS that you are welcome to salvage a screen off of. Okay. Yeah, hopefully then we can restore it, because that, that would be nice. Uh, is this... What what model of 3DS is this? This isn't the old chunky chunky style, is it? The new 3DS XL, I think, was the, the full name of it. Yeah. I've taken one apart before. If you need someone to... I, I can probably replace a screen in it. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. Because it'd be a shame to, yeah. you know, see that one go. Yeah, I'm just sort of... I've got the old chunky pink one at the moment uh, that I've... Uh, just sort of had as a backup and it got a scratched up screen and the 3d doesn't the th- you, to get the 3d proper you've got to like look at it at a weird angle but you know it's good enough to to play stuff on um and i've mostly have been playing um theatrhythm oh yeah uh theatrhythm curtain call uh the mm. old uh final fantasy rhythm game it's made me a bit sad yeah. because i was playing it and kind of impressed by just how much uh, series representation there is. Because it's every game has a whole bunch of tracks, playable tracks in it. Mm. As well as like Final Fantasy Tactics, Crystal Chronicles, fucking Advent Children. Yeah. And it was at that point that the phrase in my head was, huh, can't believe they uh, put that in there for free. Yep. And then I got really sad because I realized that like, wow, this is not a game you'd get anymore. You can't get a game that would feel like a comprehensive celebration of, certainly of, like, a a, a franchise's soundtrack. Because it would be like that fucking, like, so many music games now, like the last Guitar Hero game, the one that flopped, where there were barely any songs included with it, and it was all, like, you had to stream it and, and, like, get it piecemeal. That's what it would be. There's no way a new theatrhythm would come out. Oh, there is a there is a theater rhythm for the Switch. I I have a list of its DLC up. Do you want do you want to hear about the DLC where every track costs um ninety nine cents? Uh yeah. Final Fantasy II's Battle Theme A, The Imperial Army, Chocobo Theme, Final Fantasy III, Seronia, Final Fantasy IV, Another Moon, Final Fantasy V, Battle II, The Dawn Warriors, Library of Ancients, Final Fantasy VI, Locke's Theme, Protect the Espers, Final Fantasy VII, Opening Bombing Mission, The Chase, Rufus's Ceremony, Final Fantasy VIII, Liberace Fatality, Shuffle or Boogie, Premonition, Balam Garden, The Oath, Final Fantasy IX, Valum Allo Flamenco, Vivi's Theme, Roses of May, Leaf of the Ancient Tree of Life, Ispen's Castle, Final Fantasy X, Blitz, or I'm I'm gonna stop here because like I'm just scrolling and it just goes and goes and goes and goes. Etc. Live alive, live alive music, a bunch of the Chrono Trigger stuff is DLC, the world ends with you, near, bravely default. All those like niche niche Square Enix stuff, yeah, that's DLC. Because you wouldn't get it, yeah. Like there's DLC for Curtain Call for the 3DS one. Yeah. Um obviously I the eShop's gone now, isn't it? I think you can't put more credit on, but it's still ex- you can still use existing credit. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I mean, I I guess I can look it up. Like, uh, it just really struck me that, like, yeah, like Advent Children, like that's the kind of thing where it'd be like you'd have the Advent Children music pack. Mm. Uh, well, you'd have had that about five years ago. Now, like you pointed out, everything's an individual purchase now. It's a lot easier to. Uh, I make everything look cheaper 
to trick you into, um, well, yeah, it makes everything look cheaper, but winds up more expensive than selling them in packs. Plus, people will be suckered into spending more money because, as we've seen with FIFA, those little purchases really add up when you can't look at the bigger picture of them. But yeah, like it's just sad because if you have a rhythm game based on the Final Fantasy series, you would expect that to be a comprehensive celebration of the thing. Mm. Uh, whereas now, that's just the primer. And to get that, you'd have to um, spend so much more money. And I've made myself sadder because those things you were listing... Yeah. That's all Curtain Call DLC as well. Oh, is that all Curtain Call DLC? All of it. It's all the same. It's all the same. I apologise. <laughs> oh, no, this is brilliant. You see, because I was like, oh, this is nice. It's a little slice of every single game. You wouldn't get that these days. And then I'm like, oh, wait, no, no. Here's the here's the other shoe dropping. Well. Brilliant. Well. Oh, yeah, look, there's one winged angel. It's in the DLC. Uh... Uh, it's just a shame, you know, like... It really is. Having a game that is like... And you would have had it. Like, that's the thing. Ten years ago, you'd have had it. In in a pre-internet era, you'd have had it because they wanted you to experience it and had no way to sell it to you later. Yeah, like, if it's a mainstream published game now, you can't have something that would feel like a comprehensive a uh, celebration of a series with like lots of content from it representing it because there would be a, a bunch of DLC because it wouldn't be seen as the chance for a celebration it would be the scene seen as a chance to exploit those who want the celebration i think one of the most um, wonderful examples of uh how the presentation of these games has changed was gears of war ultimate edition yeah. i've pointed this out in the past where they called it Ultimate Edition, yet it had DLC. I'm like, that's not what Ultimate means. You re-release a game, you have pre-order bonuses and extra content carved out for it. It's not Ultimate. That's not what it means. But this is what an Ultimate... This is what game publishers think Ultimate is now. They think yeah. that's just the start. That's just their opportunity to start the fleecing. And it's a shame that, that that's the sort of thing I'm lingering on because the Atrithm's a good game. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. It's very addictive. I've played less Forspoken than I should be playing because I've been playing Theatrhythm. I really like it. Uh, I just... Yeah, no, it's great. Like, I... It's got... The music that is in there in the base game is this... There is a lot of it. Yeah. I'll say that. Um, and they've got a bunch of good tracks, you know... They resisted the urge to sell uh, Battle on the Big Bridge separate, which is something I'm sure they thought about. And they uh, using the stylus in that is really nice. You're sort of alternating between tapping, flicking in a direction or holding, and then moving it along a track. And unlike with some touch-based uh, DS or 3DS games, this one doesn't get confused. The uh, directions you swipe in are very clear, and it... Uh, but you don't have to be super clear um, for it to sort of get what you were going for. Uh, so it feels really responsive. Uh, the art style's cute. That sort of little sort of paper cutout representation of monsters and characters. It's just a very likable game. Hmm. Uh, I, I do wish that it wasn't so carved up. But it's something I got secondhand to shove in my 3DS. That was good. That was fun. Uh, you know, I'm glad I have that. 
I was uh, looking up some 3DS stuff because um, I suck at getting any of the sort of piracy stuff. No, the emulation stuff. Uh, as you know, Laurie, you've helped me muddle through that stuff. Mm. And I thought it'd be nice to have some physical cartridges. Yeah. And then I was like, God, I remember that one Suikoden game on the uh, DS, uh, Tia Chris, uh, which was... It's a brilliant little game because the protagonist is voiced by someone who is clearly like trying to fit as much as he could into his lunch break. It is the fastest voice acting you've ever heard. I recommend anyone listening, look up. I bet if you typed in like on YouTube, like Suikoden Tia Crease or just Suikoden DS voice acting, you will get examples of that protagonist speeding through his lines. Uh, and it was a very fun game. And it's uh, well over a hundred uh, bucks to get hold of it now. And we talked about this with uh, other stuff before. Um, it's like me trying to find a, a copy of Alien Infe- Aliens Infestation, which I think I mentioned last week. Um, yeah, we were talking about like all the prices driving up last week. And yeah, I was looking at, into getting a, a another 3DS because uh, you know the ones I've got aren't ideal at the moment. And there's so much. Yeah, even a basic one to say nothing of the ones that are actually pretty it's it's a shame what we've done to ourselves uh-huh. <laughs> as a community it's a shame what collectors have done to themselves and each other but there you go that's capitalism it makes monsters of us all it does yeah on on that note should we talk about news oh and people being monstrous in the news what a segue look at us yeah, look at that. Real professional. So, quick update on last week. Uh, we talked about Ubisoft uh, and the fact that Eve Gimmo was like, hey, hey, workers, we're going to need you to really fix shit for us. It's up to you. The ball's in your court. And that didn't go over well. Yeah. So, Eve Gimmo has kind of done a, a non-apology for that. In an email to staff, he's basically gone... I heard your feedback, and I'm sorry this was perceived that way. Oh, God, is he sorry we're offended? He's he's sorry you're offended. He's oh sorry that God. you misunderstood what he said and got offended. Dick. He then tries to explain what his very clear statement actually meant. Uh, when saying the ball's in your court to deliver our lineup on time and at the expected level of quality, I wanted to convey the idea that more than ever I need your talent and energy to make it happen. This is a collective journey, and starts, of course, with myself and the leadership team to create the conditions for all of us to succeed together. Blah, 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 buzzwords, jargon bullshit. Man's an orbit. Man's a knobhead. In my professional opinion, he's a knobhead. The staff of Ubisoft Paris seem to agree with you. Uh, we talked last week about the fact that there was um, discussions of strike action. Uh, it is going ahead, not last week when they'd sort of initially been floating it, but this upcoming Friday, the 27th of January, two unions, the Video Game Workers Union and the Digital Technology Union Solidarities Informatique, have called for all of their their uh, their members who are workers at Ubisoft Paris to to strike this week on Friday, doing a mass walkout from the studio. All of the uh, demands we talked about last week stay the same. A joint statement by both of those unions basically points the finger at Ubisoft's managements and continue the fact that Ubisoft continues to question the work being carried out by employees without considering the possibility of management's own failures and blindness, which 
Yeah, sounds about right. So, good luck to those striking workers. Uh, um, gosh, there's a bunch of stuff to rattle off this week. I'm going to try and get through through this quick. We got a bunch of stories about layoffs this week. Mm-hmm. Not just in video games, but like across the tech sector. And before we go into mentioning the specific companies that have had cuts, I think it's worth noting to people who aren't aware, it's not an accident that, like, 15 prominent companies in the space of one week announced massive layoffs at this time of year. Very specifically, a big thing that companies will do, and a lot of companies in the tech sector will do, is if their financial results are not looking how they want them to, and it is coming up to the end of the financial year, they will fire a bunch of people for a short-term boost in uh, making it look better on their charts because they had fewer people to pay. Yeah, this is what I've talked about on the Jimquisition for years. And to be clear, this is these conversations are happening in boardrooms with slides up that show how many people they can cut so that the managers can get their bonuses. This is exactly it. My mother has been in those meetings. This is how it works. Yeah. It is very specifically, we don't get our big bonus from the shareholders unless we hit this number. If we let this many people go, that's this many people we don't have to pay salaries to between now and the end of the financial year, which will make the graph get there so we get paid. Yeah. Well, you're in a market where, again, I talk about this on the Zoom position frequently, we're in a, a system where companies expect, and certainly their investors expect, the uh, the myth to hold true. Yeah, actually, I think it's the investors that expect it. And the managers will do any, you know, the companies will do anything to keep the investors believing that, because that means that the money stays there. And what they're expecting is uh, perpetual and rapid, perpetual growth forever. That's the myth. That's the the snake oil that investors believe in. And yes, executives at companies, uh, their job is to make these fantastical promises that the returns on the investment will last forever and get bigger every year. Uh, This is why we have, you know, all the the layoffs, um, like obviously those Microsoft ones being the big one uh, this week, uh, all all across the tech sector, in fact. Um, Microsoft is not losing money. No. It's not even not making money. It's profit has slowed. It's not stopped. It's slowed. And How many of their like, initiatives, like product initiative, launch initiatives, were likewise announced to be delayed alongside this? Because I don't remember hearing a lot of that. So, yeah, it seems like a lot of a lot of stuff that's going on is specifically around a lot of a lot of Microsoft's products have been delayed while they deal with the ABK acquisition, it seems. Uh, but like, yeah, so to, to rattle through some of the, the layoffs that happened, uh, Unity laid off around 300 staff, uh, Riot Games uh, let, let go around 50 staff. Uh, Microsoft is obviously the big one, not specifically talking Xbox, but Microsoft uh, cut around 10,000 jobs. Um, We do know that uh, uh, an amount of those were within Xbox. Uh, Layoffs 
included uh, staff at Bethesda, uh, the Coalition, 343 Industries, um, particularly 343 apparently took a lot of the brunt of those layoffs. On on a similar note, uh, absolute fucking nothing statement, uh, Xbox's Phil Spencer reached out to staff across the company, acknowledging that it's been a difficult week, and that this week's actions, by which he means the layoffs, were painful choices to set Xbox up for long-term success. Never believe any executive when they tell you that it was a painful choice for them to have a bunch of people lose their jobs so that they can keep their bonus, which they're certainly not going to give their bonus up to, to... weather the storm you know it, it was a very difficult choice to no make a bunch of people unemployed i i'll let i mean i don't even care maybe it was a difficult choice for them to you know pick which individual people that they may or may not have had relationships with that needed to go or i that's fine that's not comparable yeah it's simply not comparable to the pain that you have inflicted upon the people that you let go yeah so to quickly just circle back to the point I was making. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yes, yes, sorry. Microsoft is continuing to make money throughout all of this. Yes. And that yes. needs to be remembered. Yes. Uh, they're not making as much as they did last year. That's the problem. This is why we need to dispel this myth that if you buy a game, you're supporting the developers because they've already been paid and layoffs will happen regardless of success. In fact, it happens often because of the success, because the more successful a company is one year, the greater the pressure to beat it the next. And when they, and and a lot of these executives, they're dumb. They all fail upwards and backstab their way to the top. None of them are that smart, but they're cunning enough to realize that when they're under that pressure, they can't rely on sales alone to top what they did the year before. So, as we said, they instigate these mass layoffs because you can create that illusion that the growth has continued by spending less on your workforce and they will they will paint it in a lot of circumstances as streamlining you know they're making their processes more efficient they're eliminating waste Mm. yeah yeah uh well they're going to call it anything but what it is because uh none of them want to acknowledge the great lie the big myth Mm -hmm. Uh, but it is a myth and and this is why sort of the unfettered capitalist dystopia we have right now is so dangerous because it's based on a lie it's based on a lie because it's not possible the logical end point of capitalism is death because you can't there aren't enough human beings in the world to give you perpetual growth forever even if every single human being on the planet bought say an xbox what do they do next year We've all got Xboxes. What do they do? And this, uh, you know, ties a lot of ways into the cultural idea of uh, the family and how you, you know, we want traditional families that have children, right? You hear that a lot coming from the right. And the reason for that is they need to make sure there will be more consumers. 
because eventually it becomes completely unsustainable. So they need soldiers, they need consumers. That's what they want there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, like make no mistake, like for all the shit that some people give me for banging on about capitalism on the Jimquisition, it is the problem. It is. Look at the culture war shit. Yeah. That's funded by fossil fuel companies, which again, so much of this actually all comes down to. It's, it's actually alarming how much of the contentious, gruelling, horrible shit we all deal with, both um, financially and culturally, is down to some billionaires with fossil fuel companies. Yep. It's actually terrifying. That's it. It's fossil fuel that is is instigating so much of this shit. Um, and yeah, like you say, like we have this issue with with abortion regulation and this constant pressure to have kids to raise a family and yeah sure religion is often used as the delivery method for that Mm -hmm. but capitalism is the wielder because like you say they need an army they need good little consumers they need perpetual growth yes and that's one of the hilarious things about when billionaires start saying we've got an overpopulation problem it's like well (laughs) Whose fault is that? Uh, and obviously what they really mean is we want to get rid of the uh, population, um, the, the sectors of it we don't like, mm-hmm. and replace them uh, with the ones we do. But yeah, it, it's everything is... Uh, everything we talk about on this show that's a problem can be laid at, at the feet of the socioeconomic system that not only allows it to happen, but incentivizes it, expects it to happen, demands it happen. Hey, I'm I'm gonna remind people who hunts the whales. <laughs> if you like uh, discussions of uh, the terrible excesses that capitalism uh, puts onto the people trying to make uh, games as art, when they you know are instead forced to make games as eternally growing profit, maybe go check out Who Hunts the Whale. I feel like you might enjoy it. <laughs> Those people still listening. <laughs> uh... I'll just say one last thing. Yeah, which is if anyone tells you that something they're giving you will get bigger forever. Question it, because that seems impossible. That's weird. I mean, obviously, we're not talking about my tits. They will get bigger forever. I was going to, yeah, I was going to say, if someone hands you a piece of shit (laughs) and promises that they will come back the next day and deliver unto you another piece of shit and that pile will always grow, I will believe that up until the point that they're dead. But I think the problem there is the capitalist version of that is I'll give you a handful of shit. Tomorrow I'll give you two handfuls. The next day, eventually it will reach the point where I can't produce more shit. So I've, where do I go for the, for the rest of that analogy? How do I do, how does layoffs and poo work? Oh, it's like a, 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 well, it's be like a a pyramid of shit. Yeah. Like that's the only way it could work. Yeah. A pyramid. Exactly. It's it's a <laughs> and and on that note, you know how the video game industry has been trying to self-regulate for a while when it comes to loot boxes and not been doing a good job of it. Trying to pretend to self-regulate. Yeah. 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 Um. So we've we've got a study that has uh, come out of uh, some universities in Denmark, London, and the U.S. have worked together on this study, uh, basically to go how effective is um, warnings about loot boxes in video games. And we're talking across self-regulation in the form of, like, Peggy and the ESRB 
starting to have like a thing that says on your box you have loot boxes in your game. But we're also talking about games uh, self-reporting loot boxes on things like the uh, the 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 uh, Google Play Store on Android, which is important for things like Denmark banning loot boxes and making sure that games on your app store are not available to purchase in Denmark because they have loot boxes in them. So, here's the depressing data that I think we all knew, like, roughly where this was gonna go, but, like, here's the numbers. 60% of games uh, included in this stud study were not rated the same between PEGI and the ESRB, uh, the, the European and US regulators. Among the 40 games, which had different ratings, 88% of the time it was because the ESRB didn't bother to put the loot box warning on a game with loot boxes in it. Um, so, like, Peggy's doing better of the two, but the ESRB's just, like, pretty bad at putting loot box labels on. Additionally, of a random selection of 100 games on the Google Play Store, 71% of games with loot boxes were not labelled as having loot boxes, oh. which is a problem for getting them correctly banned in places like uh, Belgium. A hundred games is a small number of games to be doing a, a, a sample size of, they recognise that as a limitation, but there are some specific examples that were looked at, uh, because these games are particularly important to this discussion because uh, children play them a lot. Minecraft and Roblox were looked at as their own things, because they are both games where third-party user-generated content can be made and published, um, and can be bought for real money. Uh, as of the 12th of January this year, neither game was labelled with loot box warnings on the Google Play Store, despite the fact that games created within them can have real money loot boxes in them. So yeah, self-regulation is not working. Well, and where the ESRB is concerned, because as a a uh, an industry it grew so vast and they wanted to provide means of rating um digital games for which it would just be incomprehensible work to do the kind of um vetting that they normally do a lot of that stuff is effectively self-reported by the developers yeah you know i mean it's it it really it comes down to all, uh, in much the same way Video platforms before they got real good at scanning and finding uh, offending content and had a database of what was already considered offending content to pull from, you were in a space where it could go up and it would be fine until such time as somebody came along and said, hey, that's not okay. And then you'd have a problem. Mm. So this, it's not surprising that the there is a difference uh in in how it's being rated ESRB versus Peggy also because Peggy covers regions where there's actual regulation that matters you know that will have an effect yeah i i don't think it's right that the united states doesn't have some form of regulation of this industry that is uh able to hold it to account but that is the position that it's in and if the ESRB isn't having a problem with reporting of these games that are not effectively applying their warnings, they are just going to let it slide. So reports like this are helpful 
to sort of address that. Yeah. And they do take reports seriously. Like, it, it, it's not um, because as a volunteer regulatory board, they really have to maintain the smokescreen as much as possible. Yes. So maybe there will be some improvement of the situation as more and more of these sorts of stories and reports. And, and you know, I don't know, maybe uh, there could come to be a... Uh, a parents group or or someone like that that could put a pressure campaign on the ESRB to uh, manage this more effectively. I think that there are ways to address this that could be useful and holds them to account. Yep. Summary, here's a thing you can point at that demonstrates that self-regulation isn't really self-regulating very much. And the last story is just a disappointing one, unfortunately, to end on. Although it does involve, there's one th- one thing that that feels kind of ironic in 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 the context of the story. So there is an Activision Blizzard studio called Proletariat. A uh, very unfortunately named. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to find the, the, the amusement yeah. where I can on this one. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So this is a a Boston-based studio that uh got got. Uh, brought in to basically work on on World of Warcraft. Last month, 57 staff members announced plans to form the Proletariat Workers' Alliance, which was going to be a union seeking flexible time off, remote work as a permanent option, better communication over pay pay, and assurances that over time would never be mandatory. What makes this union particularly notable, and I think it's worth highlighting this, all of the unions we've so far been seeing have been QA unions. And it makes sense, QA workers are particularly poorly treated in this industry. This was not just QA workers, this was staff from all across the studio, uh, which would have made it a really big deal. It, uh, it is also a significantly greater challenge. Yes. Because... Uh... When you are simply taking a QA, I mean, I say simply, it's not easy, and I don't want to minimize how difficult it is to form a union in the first place, but um, when you are doing it with, as we've seen, these QA unions, there is um, already a, a shared understanding of everybody's work, everybody's role, and yeah. and and it's much easier for people to consider people their equals. And uh and so when you spread that out across whole companies and people who do vastly different things and contribute in different ways and may have different feelings about the value of their contributions, it starts to get more complicated. Uh, and now that's not what happened here necessarily. Yeah, this sounds like, from reports, that it was a pretty classic case of some pretty vicious union busting going on. They have cancelled their union vote because uh, CEO Seth Sivak responded to the workers' desire to form a union with confrontational tactics. The Communication Workers of America union said in a statement, uh, Like many founders, he took the workers' concerns as a personal attack, and held a series of meetings that demoralised and disempowered the group, making a free and fair election impossible. There have been other quotes from people that seem to be from people who work there. I won't go into some of those because question mark on verifying them, but 
the point being made is basically that these workers feel like they were intimidated and, and manipulated into not moving ahead with union elections, which is not good. It's it's a real shame. Yeah. We were eventually going to get some of these stories popping up because the fight for unionization, uh, you know, it's going to hit roadblocks, but it sucks that this has happened. I'm glad that we are still seeing studios trying to unionize, even if we're going to get some along the way that are unfortunately, at least for the time being, not successful. Companies, big and small, all try to engender a sense of we're in it together under leadership that is not based in actual equality mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and cooperation mm -hmm. so that they can later leverage that emotional bond that they've created with their workers in these precise situations. Yeah. Many serial killers do the same thing. Absolutely. Pretty much. Yeah. Before we go... I do just want to say, uh, I was looking into that um, Theatre Rhythm Switch, mm -hmm. yeah, which isn't out yet, it's out in February, and I will say, just in fairness, like, there are three fucking season passes planned Jesus for it, yes. but it's still way better than I thought it would be, doesn't mean it's good, but it's got 385 songs in it, and, like, a lot of the proper ones... Uh, I don't know how much, like, the passes are going to be or anything, but I will say, like, it's got Octopath Traveler music in it, uh, which is cool. Yeah. But I will say, like, it's not, it's not the Guitar Hero live sort of scenario I, I would have expected. What, you're not paying to, to, to not even... You're not paying per play to stream in music videos. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't look like an out-and-out -out con. Uh, doesn't mean, you know... That it's great. Hmm. Uh, we'll have to see how the season passes pan out. Um, my God, it looks way more complicated though. Yeah. Like control wise, um, I like just tapping with a little stick on a screen. Um, but yeah, I just thought I just in fairness, in fairness, and you know, I love shitting on Square Enix. Yeah. But in fairness, it's not quite the nightmare scenario I would have expected. Uh, out of a modern theatre rhythm. From the looks of it, there are more songs in the base game of this than there were in Curtain Call. Considerably more. Yes. Yeah. Now, some of those are DX version exclusive, which I assume is like a deluxe edition. Some of them are DLC. Yeah, it, it gets a bit... It's definitely fucky. And it's just sad that we have to think like that. That's like just the other point that, like... Yeah... We have to think of it as, oh, they're giving us this for free, when it's like, no, we just paid for it. Yeah. But anyway, I believe there's something uh, coming out soon that people can pay for. Uh, Laura, you might know a little more about that. Yeah, I, you know, funny that. I do know a little bit about that. Who Hunts the Whale is coming out on February 16th, uh, 2023. That's like about three weeks away. It is a novel that I wrote with my wonderful wife, Jane, uh, about someone who over the course of a year, goes from, hooray, I finally got a job in the video game industry, to, okay, how do I deal with the terrible problems that exist within the video game industry as an individual working at a terrible corporation? Look, I've written a lot of books. I'm, I'm going to let you in on a secret. 
As good as many of my past books have been, I usually hate my books by the time they're getting ready to publish, and it's not because they're bad, it's because I've had to read them so many fucking times that I'm like, I hate my own work because I've had to look at it so much. Yeah. I don't feel this that way about this book. I still find it funny, I still find it sweet, I still, th- I still, th- I still love it, despite having had to do all of the god knows how many rereads that you have to do when you're writing a book. Take that as a sign. I'm really proud of this book that me me and Jane have written together. Go check out Who Hunts the Whale. If you listen to this show, you are the kind of person who should probably have a read of that book. I think you'd get on with it. What about you, comrade? Where are you on the internet? Oh, well, you can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram. And you can hang out with me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. You can buy anti-capitalist propaganda that I make at pinfultruth.com and audiobooks at conradreads.com. And everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? It's James Stephanie Sterling. Oh, oh Jesus Christ. I think you're yeah. right, you know. Uh, yes, uh, I have that. It is patreon.com slash jimquisition. Uh, pays for the things you might expect that to pay for. Um, I also live stream Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. Um, I usually go Mondays, Wednesdays and uh, weekends. Uh, speaking of, this weekend I will be in Sheffield. Uh, that's uh, Saturday, January 28th. Uh, showtime is 3.30pm. Uh, I will be tagging with Priscilla, Queen of the Ring again. Uh, Queens of the Space Age. Uh, it's going to be really good. Uh, February 5th, I will be in Manchester for Sovereign Pro Wrestling. Uh, that is uh, Commander Sterling versus Shreddy. It's going to be also, that one's going to be awesome. You won't want to miss that one. Mm. Um, blah, where's the next one? Uh, Leeds, True Grit. Uh, me and Priscilla going one on one in a sort of rematch from our Spectrum show. Uh, True Grit again, Leeds, uh, March uh, 20. When did I say that was? Oh shit, that's March 25th. Right, sorry. That's March 25th. March 18th, I'll be in Blackpool for PCW at the Flamingos Bar. Um, So those are all the confirmed, I think. Uh, I'll have more to announce in future. Thank you all so much, by the way, for listening to us, for supporting us, and everything like that. Uh, And we'll see you next week. Pretty sure. Bye. Bye. Bye.